Good morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures, you can open up to Romans chapter 5 with me. Romans chapter 5, as we continue our series, The Genius of Jesus, looking at the gospel through the book of Romans, uh, asked this morning, um, as soon as we're ending our church service this morning, Pastor Joe actually is off-site today preaching at First Baptist Church in Marysville. And so our sending church in Marysville a little over a year ago adopted that church, and they're helping do a revitalization there, which simply means that church was struggling um, in multiple areas, and they reached out to our friends at Living Hope in Marysville and said, can you help us get back on our feet um, so that we can have a healthy church here at, at First Baptist? And so their pastor needed a break this morning, and Pastor Joe stepped in to help them. And many of you probably knew that Pastor Joe was preaching somewhere this week, because he called you about 30 times to tell you all about what he was going to preach on. And so you need to be aware, if Pastor Joe ever gets your phone number and he's preaching, if he calls you after about 5.15, you might as well say goodbye to your evening because you'll be on the phone all night listening to what he's going to be teaching about that Sunday. So uh, love him to death, and so we'll, we'll make sure we pray for him at the end of our service today. Hey, will you stand with me in honor of reading God's Word? Living Hope, we think that it's a big deal that God wrote a book for us to know him, and so we want to honor that when we read it. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 15, God's word says this through Paul. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by one man's trespass the many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of the one man Jesus Christ overflowed to the many? Verse 16. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. Verse 17, since by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Jesus, we do lift up Pastor Joe this morning as he is getting ready to preach here in a bit at First Baptist Marysville. God, we pray that you'd empower him with your spirit to proclaim your word with boldness. But God, we also pray that you'd be with us in this room today, that God, you'd give us open ears to hear from you this morning. God, we want soft hearts not just to hear, but to receive the word that you want us to hear. And God, we also pray not just for soft hearts, but obedient hands and feet, Lord. So as James talks about, God, that we could be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so, God, I pray as we interact with the gospel this morning that it changes us from the inside out as we walk with Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There's times in life where bad news just tends to stack on top of bad news, which stacks on top of bad news, and at the end of your day, it just simply ends up being a bad day. Anybody ever had a bad day before? I know I've had a few this week. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I read this week about a guy who I'd, I'd say we could chalk this up as one of the worst days ever, a guy in Utah named Brian who several years ago had a bad day that stacked up on top of a bad day. I'm not sure if this is a true story, but it was presented like it was a true story, so we'll say that it's a true story. But one day in July, this gentleman named Brian, his apartment flooded because a pipe in his upstairs neighbor's apartment, it burst. So Brian, doing the right thing as a tenant, he called his landlord, to which his landlord instructed him, well, I can't get anybody out to your apartment for several hours. Why don't you just go to Home Depot, pick yourself up a wet, dry shop vac, and clean it up yourself? 
So Brian was like, okay, I got to do this. I got standing water in my apartment. He went out to his car. He discovered that his car had a flat tire. So Brian did what he had to do, got out the car jack. He changed that tire, incredibly discouraged, walked back up the steps to his apartment, got on his cell phone, called up a friend to help him clean up the water. The problem was the moment that he walked into his apartment, Brian stumbled, dropped his phone into the standing water on his kitchen floor. At this point, all of us would give up and be like, you know what, I'm just going to bed. I'm done with today, right? As Brian then decided, okay, I need to get this resolved. He's like, I got to leave my apartment again. I'm going to have to just go get this shot back without the help of anybody. All of a sudden, it had been about an hour that had passed. The door in the door frame had begun to swell from the water that was standing in the floor of the apartment. The door would no longer open, so Brian had to actually kick down the door. Once Brian went outside, Brian discovered that his car, to which he had just changed the tire on not too long ago, had been stolen because he left the key fob in the coin holder in the car. Lucky for him, though, this is where the day makes a little bit of a turn. The car was quickly found only a couple of blocks away by the police. The problem was is that the, the thieves had siphoned out all of the gas from Brian's car. So now he's left two blocks from his apartment, floor on the, or water on the floor of the apartment, no cell phone to call a friend, so Brian had to push his car two blocks to the gas station, only to realize that he left his wallet at home. He found a good Samaritan to put some gas into his car, but when Brian arrived back home a few hours later, he discovered that a large section of drywall had actually collapsed from the ceiling, fell to the floor, and crushed his pet canary. And to top it all off, Brian, in a fit of rage and frustration, started punching at the air, only to slip in the water, fall on the floor, and injure his tailbone. Sometimes bad news and bad situations stop, stack on top of bad news, stacks on top of bad news, and you just end up having a pretty bad day. So what's the cure for bad news? What's the cure for a bad day? We all know this. It's, it's good news. Sometimes the very thing that we need to find relief from bad news is just a little bit of good news. Last week in our study of Romans, we spent some time in three verses in Romans 5, 12 through 14, where Paul is taking us to this ground level view of the gospel. And last week, it was just kind of like bad news stacked on top of bad news stacked on top of bad news. One person commented on the way out that it almost felt like a cloud was resting over top of our church yesterday after, or last week after the message. What did Paul remind us there in Romans 5, starting in verse 12, that Adam's sin had affected us all. And as a result, Paul reminds us that death had spread to all people, that spiritually we were separated from God, and physically all of us will die. The author of Hebrews told us that it's an appointed to man once to die, then the judgment. Death is an, an appointment. It's not an accident. But we closed last week by saying that because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and his resurrection, that we can have life again that we can be spiritually restored in a relationship with God, and in eternity we will live forever and death will be destroyed. But now in verse 15, as Paul has layered on the bad news in verses 12 through 14, he transitions us to focus on the good news, to focus on the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So this week, I don't have to be a messenger of judgment, thank God. I get to be a messenger of good news, and I'm actually pretty excited about that. Hopefully you can hear it in the tone of my voice. 
Now, with this shift in the gospel narrative here, starting in verse, verse 15, here's what we see. Paul is going to draw some contrast for us. He wants us to see the sin of Adam that we talked about last week and how that contrasts with the work of Christ on the cross. Because of Adam, Paul's going to remind us, some things are true about us as humans. But because of the finished work of Jesus, some things are more abundantly true about us. So let's look at these contrasts today. If you're a note taker, you can write these down. Number one is this, the trespass versus the gift. The trespass versus the gift. Look at verse 15. What's Paul say? The gift is not like the trespass. So what's the first contrast Paul gives us in this focusing on the good news? That the gift that Jesus offers you and me, that salvation and the gospel, that we can be redeemed from our sinful state, restored to a relationship with God, is not like, it's different than the sin of Adam. Look at verse 15. What's he say about Adam's sin? That by one man's trespass, that's Adam's sin, many died. Many died. We saw that in verse 12 last week when Paul reminded the church in Rome that just as sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, that death spread to all of us. That because we are from the seed of Adam, we are born dead, spiritually dead. Let me give you the cliff notes of last week if you weren't here. Hopefully this is helpful. God created Adam, we saw from the dirt. Pretty wild. You can read about it, Genesis 1, Genesis chapter 2. God scoops up a piece of dirt, scoops up a handful of dirt, breathes life into it. Adam is the only of all of, of God's creation to bear his image. Adam gave, or God gave Adam and his wife one command, one verbal command. Genesis chapter 2, do not eat from this one tree. You can have everything else in the garden. One tree, don't touch it. Everything else is yours. Leave the one tree alone. We said this last week. This is so important. I'm going to echo it again. Obedience to a holy God is a really big deal. Sometimes we look at God's commands and we think to ourselves, well, is that really a big deal? It is because God's holy and we're not. So when we disobey him, it's a really big deal. As a result of Adam's disobedience, what does God do? God sends him away from his presence. That's spiritual death, Genesis 3.23. Genesis 5 verse 12, Adam ultimately physically dies just as God said as a result, the sin nature from Adam is now passed down to all of humanity. That's you and me, that we are born in the sin of Adam because we're from the seed of Adam. It's the universal condemnation of humanity. <laughs> you thought to yourselves, we thought we were getting away from the bad news. Just give me a minute. Let's just get through this one more time, all right? Now, what happens now? What do we see in verse 15? Um, Paul is again reintroducing us to the gospel. I love what happens in verse 15 because he introduces this phrase. I'd circle this in my Bible if I had a pen and a hard copy of the scriptures. Paul uses this phrase, how much more? What's he want us to see? The sin of Adam caused a lot of issues for humanity. But how much more did the grace of God intersect our story and change things for us? Um, sin affected all of us, the entire condition of humanity. But how much more Will the grace of God be made available to all of us? Sin left us in a state of death, but how much more will the grace of God rescue us? We see this echoed later in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where the apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and talked about how, how the righteousness of Jesus can be applied to the account of the sinner. And look at what he says, that he made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus 
we might become the righteousness of God. Paul said in verse 15 that the grace that Jesus offers overflowed to the many. That although Adam's sin has affected us and placed us all in a sinful condition, that the grace of God can overflow to you and I. That word overflow, circle that in your Bible if you can. That's a word that doesn't simply mean to, to abound, okay? Like when we say something is like um, there's extra of something, we'd say it was abounding with excess. That word in the Greek language is actually a word that means to super abound, to hyper abound. It doesn't mean that we're just abounding. It's like an explosion of grace on us. A little parallel for us here. If you go to uh, Matthew chapter 14, Luke chapter 9, or John chapter 6, you can read about the feeding of the 5,000. You guys remember this story? A whole bunch of people listening to Jesus preach. It's getting later in the day. They were probably a Baptist church because everybody complained that they wanted a potluck. They're like, we're all hungry. Feed us. Feed us. Feed us, Pastor Jesus. And what ends up happening? The, Jesus tells the disciples to figure out the food situation. And they're, they're like, Lord, we can't give them money. We can't go into town. What are we going to do? Little boy walks up with his happy meal, five loaves and two fish, little fish and chips basket. And he gives it to, the, to, to these disciples. And the disciples bring it to Jesus. Can you imagine that moment? There's 20,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children. Can you imagine that moment where one of the disciples walks to Jesus and he's holding out that little red and yellow McDonald's Happy Meal box with some bread and some fish inside and say, like, hey, Jesus, we figured it out. And they hand it to him, you know? And Jesus is probably rolling his eyes, but what does Jesus do? He multiplies it, the loaves and the fish, and ends up feeding all of these people. But here's what's the key. At the end of that text, at the end of that passage, in all three stories, there's leftovers. There's leftovers, and the Bible actually says that there was 12 baskets overflowing with leftovers from that, meaning that what was left was more than what they started with. That's the word overflow here in verse 15 of Romans 5. That the grace of Jesus overflows to us, that what was taken from us is restored in excess through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Super abounding grace towards sinners and towards humanity, that we were marked with the sin of Adam, but we can be lavished with the grace of Jesus. What was the mission of Christ? Luke 19, 10, the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. So what's the contrast? The trespass of Adam has affected the entirety of humanity, but the gift of salvation can superabound to all of us. Point number two, condemnation versus justification. Look at verse 16. The gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came judgment, resulting in what? Condemnation. But from many trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. I'm going to say it again. In Adam, in Adam's sin, we all stand condemned before God, meaning that judgment has been declared upon all of us because we've sinned against a holy God. And what is that judgment? Romans 6.23, you've heard this before. The wages of sin, the result of sin, the debt of sin is what? It's death. We see that echoed in Romans over and over. That because we're sinful, we deserve death and eternal separation from God. Adam's sin brought condemnation on us all. But by one man's sin, we are condemned. But by one man's righteousness, we can be made right with God. That's Jesus. We said a few weeks ago, this word justified is a, a judicial term. It means that I was guilty of something and now I'm declared right. I told you all about my speeding ticket. I've been watching you all drive the last three weeks, and it's a miracle. There's not more speeding tickets in this church, right? 
We've all been there before. We understand that idea of that judicial term of guilty, yet something has been paid, and now I'm declared right. One Bible teacher I was reading this week said that there was a debt that you owed, and it was written off like you never even owed it before. I read a story this week about a man in England years ago who went on a, they call it in England, they call it going on holiday. I think that's silly, so we're going to call it vacation, right? This man went on vacation, and this man was so wealthy that he decided to take his Rolls Royce on vacation with him. So he had this Rolls Royce put on a boat. He got on an airplane, flew to the other side of Europe. That boat went, and that boat took his Rolls Royce all the way around so that he could drive on this other side of Europe on his vacation. Well, the problem was while he was driving around Europe, something happened to the motor of this Rolls Royce car to where it was no longer working. The car literally died there on the road. So he got his phone out, made a couple of phone calls, got on Google. He called the Rolls Royce offices back in England and he said, look, here's the deal. He said, I'm having trouble with my car. What do you suggest I do? Well, because he was the owner of a Rolls Royce, all of us Honda owners are like, what's that? Um, he was the owner of a Rolls Royce. What happened was Rolls Royce actually put somebody on an airplane. They flew a mechanic all the way over to where he was to go and to work on this gentleman's car. And so this car is in this shop that they had borrowed. This mechanic is working on this car for about a day or two. And you can imagine this guy's brain. Yeah, he was wealthy, but he's thinking to himself, oh my goodness, what is it going to cost me? Because they had to fly a mechanic all the way across Europe to me to work on the engine, one of the most expensive parts of my car, to repair it so that I could continue my vacation. Of course, internally, he's just freaking out. His vacation ends a few weeks later. He flies back to England. He has his car shipped by boat back. He gets home a couple days later. He's like, all right, I got to suck this up. I got to go for it. He gets his phone back out. He calls Rolls-Royce headquarters. He gets patched through to a few different people, and he says, I hate to ask this question, but how much do I owe you? all for that repair. They put a help ticket out for him. The, the person on the other end wasn't quite sure. They said, give us a few days. We'll get back to you with the total cost of the repairs. It's said that later, about four or five days later, he still hadn't received a call, but he went out to his mailbox and there was a letter postmarked to him, his name on the front, and it had the Rolls Royce emblem on the front. He thought, oh, here it is. Here's that bill that I've been waiting for. He went back into his kitchen, he opened up that letter, he laid it out there on the kitchen counter, and here's what he read. Dear sir, there's no record anywhere in our files that anything ever went wrong with a Rolls Royce under your name. No record of repairs, no record of debt, no record of anything. That's justification. We owe an insurmountable debt to the God of the universe Yet because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, God regards us as though no debt has ever been owed. When God looks at us, he doesn't see the sin that we've committed. He doesn't see our position in Adam. But because of Jesus, when we choose to put our faith in him and submit to his lordship, we're declared right with God. And God regards us as though we've never sinned at all. What's the second contrast? that we stood condemned before God, but we can be declared right again with him through Jesus Christ. The final and third contrast here is death and life. Death and life. What's Paul say in verse 17? If by one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. We talked about that last week. How much more 
Those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. By one man's trespass, death reigned through us all. There's a picture there I don't want us to miss that Paul's painting for us. This picture of death reigning over all of humanity. He said in 1 Corinthians 15, that for in Adam all die. There's one guarantee in this life that if you're born, you will die. That's a result of Adam's sin. Someday you will physically die and you are born spiritually dead. But that picture that Paul is painting for us, one commentary I read said, imagining like this, this emperor of death, we would call it, that's ruling over humanity as a tyrant that will not let loose of his grip. And we're captive, we're bound And he is the king of our lives that has the highest control of us. What a bleak picture of sin reigning as a tyrant over us. But then we see those three words that we saw from verse 15 and verse 17 now. How much more? That although sin has a grip on us, that God's grace is so much more powerful that death doesn't have to be the ruling tyrant of my life, that Jesus can now be my master and Lord and the king dominating over my life. What's Paul say in verse 17? What reigns in our life now instead of death? It's life. Why? Because Jesus is present. Let me give you two verses as we begin to land the plane here. Jesus told us in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and what? The life. That no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. But when we give our lives to Jesus, what reigns in our life now? Life. John wrote in John 1, 4 through 5, that in Jesus was life. And that life was the light of men. In Christ, friends, oh my gosh, hear this this morning. Your life doesn't have to be marked by the sin of Adam anymore. We can be marked by the life of Jesus. We don't have to be a people anymore that are simply destined for death. We can be a people of purpose and life. Because your spiritual death and my spiritual death was handled on the cross. Our physical death that we will experience will someday be ended in eternity when God casts death into the lake of fire. In Christ, we no longer have to die, but we can can live forever. I love what Billy Graham says about this, about eternal life and how death no longer reigns over us. I love this quote. He said, someday you will hear that Billy Graham is dead but don't you believe a word of it. I'll be more alive than I am now. Listen, I will have just changed my address. I'll have gone into the presence of God. What a quote. When our lives are marked by Jesus, death no longer has the sting and the rulership and the tyrancy over us. So here's my application for us today. Has the grace of Jesus ever truly intersected your story? Has there been a moment in time in your story where you've repented of your sin and you put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you? And then here's the kicker. A lot of times we'll answer those two questions with yes. Here's the third one, and I believe the most important. If you answered yes to those two questions, has it changed your life? Has it changed your life? Because when something as massive as the grace of God, like rescuing us from an eternity of death, intersects our life, it changes literally everything about us, and we reorient our lives completely around the gospel. We have to. 
Let me close with this story. I stole this from a pastor this week that I was listening to, but I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that uh, uh, at about 10, let's say 40 this morning, after the worship team had ended worship, that they played the opening bumper video for our message today, and um, the lights came up, you were all seated in here, and I was nowhere to be found. So you you guys kind of sat here for about a minute awkwardly looking at each other like, what do we do next? Not really sure what to do. You you all looked at Seth and was like, Seth, are you supposed to preach today? What's going on? But after about three or four minutes, here I come. You can hear my car screeching in the parking lot. I swoop into a parking spot. I come running down this hallway, running up front. I'm throwing my mic on as I get up here. And I come up here and I I open my Bible up. My hair's all disheveled. My shirt's untucked. Half my pant leg is up. I'm a mess looking. I'm just looking like a total mess. But I get up here and I just start teaching like nothing even happened. Well, after about 30 seconds of you all kind of wondering, like, what's going, why, why is he late? And why does he look like that? One of the deacons finally stands up in the back and was like, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Aaron, pause. (laughs) What's wrong with you? Because this isn't normal. And I'm like, oh, I probably should address that with you real quick. Yeah, actually what happened was I was on my way to church this morning and I had a flat tire, had a nail in my tire. So I had pulled off on the side of the road on 270. And as I'm there on the side of the road on 270, changing the tire on on my car, this semi-truck came was barreling down 270, about 70 miles an hour, and just clobbered me, hit me, head on. I went flying about 40 yards, right there in the middle of 270. That semi-driver slammed on his brakes because he had went over top of me. And wouldn't you believe it that after he hit me, that semi-driver put that truck in reverse and backed over me. <laughs> and then that guy, he put that truck back in drive and over me again three times. He hit me, backed over me, and drove over me another time. So I stood up, dusted my knees off, tried to fix my hair, got in my car, came straight here, and that's why I'm late, because I was hit by a semi three separate occasions. What would you say? You're a liar. (laughs) That didn't happen. Why? Man, let's, let's just put a bow on this. Because if something that massive... (laughs) intersected my life, it would immediately, in a moment, change everything about Aaron Taylor. Everything about me. My whole story would be different because I got pummeled by a semi, yeah? Y'all, if the gospel, the most massive thing in the universe is the gospel, insanity that the God of the universe came to rescue sinners like me, that the God of the universe died in my place to restore my relationship with him. What? I mean, unbelievable, massive. And if that gospel that we claim that has intersected our stories doesn't radically change everything about us to the point where we have to reorient our lives completely around it, have we actually experienced the gospel that we claim that we have? So let me visit our questions one more time. Has Jesus' grace ever actually intersected your story before? Has there been a point in your life where you've repented of sin and you put your faith in Jesus Christ? And the most important question, has it actually changed your life? Because if you've truly experienced the gospel, it will. Let me pray for us as the praise team comes. God, we're so grateful 
for the reminder that we've seen here in Romans 5. That God, you came on a rescue mission for sinners. When we didn't deserve it, while we were still sinners, you came and died for us. God, I pray that we never become weary or tired of hearing the message of grace. But God, I pray that as we digested here just a few moments ago, Lord, that if the gospel has truly made its way into our lives, God, that it would have changed everything about us. So God, I pray for any of my friends in this room that maybe they're here with some uncertainty of whether they've ever actually given their lives over to you, whether they've actually repented of their sin entrusted you as their savior. Lord, your word says that apart from Jesus, that we're destined for an eternity separated from you. But that God, when we simply acknowledge with our lips that Jesus is Lord, Lord, when we confess our sin to you, admitting who we are apart from Christ, that we can be saved and we can invite Jesus to take over our story. I've got to pray if any of my friends have not made that decision that August 27th, 2023 would be a great day to do that. That God, even as we're singing, Lord, that they would cry out to you, admit their sin, and put their trust and faith in Jesus for all eternity. So God, I pray now as we sing that our voices would echo through heaven. God, as we join the angels who are already praising you. God, we're so grateful. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for coming after us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.